From Tokyo, Japan, I'm Franklin, and you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and the way they affect our daily lives. Coming up on today's show, Jennifer Kosaboom will join us to talk about methylmercury and seals. So stay tuned for all this here on the Grok Science Show. Welcome back to the program. Well, we've all known since grade school that mercury, or specifically methylmercury, is a toxin and should not be ingested. Scientists have known that seafood could be a source of mercury and have developed maps to identify hot spots where seafood should not be eaten. But where does mercury come from? Well, for a long time, it was thought that mercury came mostly from industrial wastes, but it turns out that、uh, other sources could be providing the, these metals. Well, joining us today is Jennifer Kosaboom, who will tell us some of her recent research in identifying where、uh, mercury is coming from.、Uh, Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us here on the Grok Science Show. Thank you for having me. So, first of all,、uh, maybe you could give us a little bit of the science behind mercury and how it、um, is harmful for humans and animals. Sure. So, mercury enters the environment in its inorganic form from industrial sources, such as combustion of fossil fuels and coal or mining.、Um, it also enters from natural sources, such as volcanoes or forest fires. However, the majority is from human activities. Um, and when it reaches coastal environments and reaches low oxygen settings, it can be methylated by anaerobic bacteria, which convert it into its organic form, methylmercury.、Um, and this is the more toxic form that is a public health concern because of its concentrations in seafood. So,、um, this is the form that bioaccumulates in individual animals and biomagnifies in marine food chains because it binds strongly with proteins. So, marine predators such as northern elephant seals or humans、um, end up being exposed to high concentrations from their diet. And so, one key route of elimination for this methylmercury is through the hair、um, as it's growing.、Um, and in the case of northern elephant seals, they shed this hair each year、um, at Año Nuevo, which was our study site. When, was, when did you first suspect that seals were the source of? These so called、uh, hot spots of mercury? So, back in the late 1970s, my advisor, Dr. F. Flagel,、uh, was part of a study that analyzed mercury in mussels collected from 43 locations all along the United States' west coast.、Um, and out of all of these, Año Nuevo had the highest concentrations that were 5 to 35 times higher than the mercury from mussels at、um, the 42 other sites. And at the time, He speculated it was due to the unique、um, high abundance of pinnipeds at Año Nuevo. However, at the time, there wasn't an accurate way of measuring such trace amounts of mercury in seawater. And so, when I joined his lab a few years ago, we decided to re examine the hypothesis that、um, the biological material coming from marine mammals could be 
could end up at the bottom of the food chain again in these uh, remote environments. So when the seal sheds their skin, does uh, you know does the dead skin fall to the bottom of the sea, or does the mercury start getting absorbed into the water right away? Right. So we are um, we are very uncertain exactly how available that methyl mercury is to the base of the food chain um, or the mechanism by which it becomes available. So um, it has been found that sediment-bound methyl mercury has um, a high affinity or assimilation efficiency um, for muscles. So it gets absorbed in their tissues quite easily. However, no one has studied at how methyl mercury becomes available in degrading hair um, or feathers, which also contain methyl mercury. So um, there's definitely a lot of space for future investigation. In, in terms of the actual concentrations, I mean, what what is the difference between the the concentration you find at these hotspots compared to, say, the average baseline of the ocean? So um, we collected our samples during the breeding season at Año Nuevo as well as the molting season, um, and we compared these concentrations to other comparison sites that were nearby along Highway 1. At these comparison sites, we found about 0.3 picomolar um, concentration of methylmercury, that harmful form. Um, and when we compared this average from the other sites to our average during the breeding season, it doubled. So it was 0.6 picomolar during the breeding season. However, when we look at the molting season, we saw a 17-fold increase in the average methylmercury concentrations from those seawater samples. Um, and which we found uh, a concentration of 5 picomolar. And so typically their um, current data uh, says that the surface water methylmercury in San Francisco Bay, which has a very large history of mining um, and thus mercury contamination, has average concentrations of about 0.05 to 2.3 picomolar. Um, and this is an, a highly urbanized area. So we see that the molting season um, seawater samples had a very high average compared to the other comparison sites um, that were outside of the reserve, as well as to San Francisco Bay. And you mentioned that it peaks during breeding season, and you, you could actually chart the, the concentration throughout the year, right? So we, we, caught, we had one sampling, um, one sampling event during the molting season, which was in May. Um, and then we had, and that was the really, really high, um, that had the really high levels of methylmercury. Um, and then we also collected during the breeding season during one sampling event, and that was in February. Um, and we took six samples at, during each season, um, and then the comparison sites were also collected um, over the course of a few sampling events. So um, we did only test during one given day. However, we expect that we expect that there's a fluctuation seasonally of methylmercury in that nearshore ecosystem. You know, based on the concentration you find at these sites, would you recommend that people should not eat the seafood there or to swim in those waters? It's it's very difficult to say, and it's difficult to extrapolate our findings to any human health effects um, because we only looked at seawater and we didn't look at the actual um, mussels or fish from that reservoir. Um, it's difficult for us to really say. Um, so it would be very good for people to read reevaluate um, how much mercury is in the mussels there. However, because it's a marine reservoir, people cannot fish or harvest seafood from that specific area. Um, however, people do fish and harvest um, seafood from, from other areas that contain a lot of marine mammals. 
I understand you're your researcher in the School of, of Public Health uh, at San Diego State University. I'm just curious, what are the policy implications or you know, health policy that uh, should address some of these uh, mercury, the high levels of mercury? Right. The most important um, policies are policies that will cut mercury emissions from industrial sources. Um, the concentrations in the North Pacific, where northern olive fields are foraging and where we get a lot of seafood, are continuing to rise. Um, and so the most important step is going to be reducing the amount of mercury that we're putting into the environment, which is mainly through combustion of fossil fuel. So when we think about where the seal gets their food, you know, as mercury goes up the food chain, would you say these are specifically pollutants that fall close to the the, uh, coastline or, you know, are the source of these mercury uh, from pollutants that fall all over the world? Right. So mercury is a very, very difficult contaminant to study because it has many different forms that behave quite differently. And so um, it's able to travel very far in the atmosphere as well as in the ocean. The mercury that's released from industrial sources at a coastline or even inland has the ability to travel through the atmosphere to the Arctic or other areas where then it, through rainfall or precipitation, it can enter the marine environment or, ter- or other terrestrial environments. So when it comes down to the northern Fields picking up mercury out in the open ocean, the ultimate source of that mercury could be from virtually anywhere. So just restricting the pollutants along, say, California or the western United States would not be sufficient to remove or reduce the mercury. Right. It definitely needs to be an international effort. In terms of these international efforts, are there any regulations now, or is it still an area where they haven't made uh, any real talks yet? Um, there are mercury regulations that currently exist, and there was recently a Minamata Convention um, after there was a environmental disaster in Minamata, Japan, and it led to very, very high methyl mercury levels being released into the near shore environment where people were fishing, and a lot of people were poisoned by this methyl mercury, um, and it caused a lot of birth effects, which a lot of survivors are still alive today. And so, recently, in they had a Minamata convention on mercury in 2013, where people are really beginning to work on cutting emissions and laying down restrictions on how much mercury particular industries can be releasing into the environment. What about natural sources of mercury? Would, would you know? Would that still go up the food chain, or there's they are insignificant cons- compared to the uh, uh, man-made sources? Um, it's less significant compared to the main sources. However, forest fires um, end up releasing mercury as well as volcanic activity and hydrothermal vents. You've done very fascinating research. Uh, what you know? What was the most challenging aspect uh, of this work? I would say that the analysis itself of the seawater samples um, was, was definitely the most difficult part. Mercury is so it changes form so quickly and readily that measuring such trace trace amounts in seawater samples was very difficult. Um, however, it was a great learning experience for me, um, and I believe that a great project came out of it. So, um, I'm very very glad that me and my co-authors put in the time. And what was your most surprising discovery? Was, was there something unexpected uh, from, from the data you saw? Yes, I would say that, that the, um, the magnitude of, of the increase in methylmercury from the seawater samples during the molting season was the biggest surprise. We expected it to be elevated, 
um, during the breeding season and during the molting season. But then the molting season specifically was so high that we were very surprised when we were running the samples and found that data. Oh, what about the seals themselves? Are, are they affected by the mercury or is, are they so efficient at molting it that it doesn't really cause them any effects? Right, so, so molting is their way of eliminating um, the methyl mercury that they're exposed to, um, or at least a, an amount of the methyl mercury that they're exposed to. Uh, and it's, very, it's hard to say exactly what behavioral or health effects the methyl mercury has on them. We can only make observations, um, but we do know that they have high concentration in their blood um, as well as in their hair. Mercury is not an essential element for people, so there isn't a nutritional value to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so essentially, you want no mercury in your body. <laughs> yeah, lastly, you know, I just want to congratulate you for the, uh, the paper uh, that was published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. Um, are, are there any last words you'd like to add about your work or to people who are interested in learning more or entering this field? Um, I guess I would just say that, you know, biomagnification of contaminants, including mercury, um, is a very big issue um, in the marine environment. And it's very important when we're trying to figure out where these contaminants are going or how they're behaving, it's very important to look at the whole cycle and to see how marine predators play a unique role um, and how they could be transporting these compounds um, to unique areas that we didn't realize before. What, what would you say be some of the uh, questions or unanswered questions that are still exciting in this field? Um, I would say that we have a few questions from this. Um, it would be very interesting to look at other rookeries and to see how much of an effect um, maybe sea lions or marine birds um, and molting feathers would have on ocean concentrations, um, as well as really starting to test more fish for methylmercury levels out of these reservoirs and compare it to fish that are in coastal environments but don't have a lot of phenotype populations to really um, validate whether this methylmercury could be entering the base of the food chain again um, and becoming exacerbated in these reservoirs. Okay, well, Jennifer, uh, thank you so much again uh, for taking your time to to join us on the Grok Science Show today. Sure. It was my pleasure. We were just talking to Jennifer Kosaboom from San Diego State University on the shedding of seals and their effects on methylmercury concentrations in the seawater. For more about this topic, you can read her paper, which was published in the recent edition of the Proceedings of the National Academies of Science. And that's all for this week's edition of the Rock Science Show. Make sure you tune in again next week for more from the world of science, technology, and the way they affect our daily lives. In the meantime, you can check us up on the web at www.grox.net, on Facebook, and Twitter. You can also email us at science.grox.net for the Grox Science Show. I'm Franklin. Stay tuned here for more music.